Um, I, I've not been around long enough at all to kind of have any sense of what the church needs. And uh, uh, Steph has given me no thing to say, this is what the church needs. This is what I'm reading. I've been, <laughs> I've been reading through the Bible and I've got through the Old Testament. I broke through that, loved it, but I'm glad to get through that. And it's took me about three years, no, two years it took me to read the Old Testament. I hear stories of people who sat in a hospital and did it in three days. It took me two years. And I finally broke through into the Gospels, um, finally. The Old Testament's great. But um, it's great, a relief. But uh, it's come alive to me afresh, um, just Jesus and who he is and uh, as he's presented in the Gospels. And it's just come alive to me and I'm going to hopefully preach this and it's what's God speaking to me and will hopefully be a blessing to you as well. So John uh, chapter 12. Um, uh, Jesus, I'll give you a bit of introduction. He's at a Passover feast, a very important feast, time where God's uh, where, uh, Jews and Israel are remembering God's uh, provision for them, uh, blood on the doorpost, a sacrifice, and blood over the doorpost of a, of a household, and, uh, and God would pass them by, and it was a, it was a remembrance of uh, God's deliverance uh, for them as a people. It's a very important festival. Um, and the Pharisees are a bit twitchy around Jesus because uh, he's just, he's just uh, seen his friend Lazarus raised from the dead. And, uh, and the crowds are, uh, are starting to uh, press in on him. The Pharisees are, 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 um, are um, twitchy about it. If we let him go on like this, they say everyone will believe in him. Uh, the whole world has gone after him. And, uh, uh, and uh, verse, uh, verse 29 uh, it just suggests that there's a crowd here, there's a mixture of disciples and others all pressing into Jesus at this very important time. And uh, God's purposes are drawing very much to a head. Jesus uh, uh, is, is at this feast and over the days events are going to unfold that leads him to the place, that, that, the, the, the moment of destiny, God's call on his life. And, um, and it's a significant uh, moment for him, he's, um, I, I think with Lazarus, he's been torn emotionally. He's his mate. And, uh, and people say, why don't you heal him now? And he says, it's not God's time yet. Just wait, just wait. And, and there's been tears and emotion. And there are death threats now uh, against Lazarus and Jesus. You read that earlier in John. And uh, the pressure is on. The pressure is on. Jesus, the man, is, is very conscious of what is before him. And... Um, you get a sense of that. Now is my soul troubled, he says in verse 27. He's very aware of what is coming. And there is a great sense of destiny and God's purpose is gathering together in, these, in, for, in this moment and over the coming days. Um, and out of this, I want to look at three verses at this particular moment where uh, three things I want us to get from this. One is uh, we are to look to Christ, we are to emulate or be like him, and uh, we are to attend to him. And that's a little bit of context for what we're going to look at. We're going to look at verse 24 um, of John 12. Uh, sorry, verse 20. Sorry. Uh, now among those who went up to worship at the feast, at the Passover, were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them. We'll just stop there for a moment. A um, bunch of Greeks have come. They've probably gone to Philip because he's got a, a, a Greek name and uh, they want to come and see Jesus. And I think there's a nervousness about the disciples. Philip don't make a decision. Philip goes to Andrew. And they go to Jesus. they just got to check it out. There's nervousness about them. I think just some of, perhaps they're just aware of the enormity of what, perhaps Jesus is just uh, quite absorbed in what he's facing. He's not perhaps quite the same. 
uh, as perhaps they've known him at other occasions. I think they must be aware of the death threat thing. Is this, are these the guys coming? Are they, is, is this it? We've got to watch this lot coming in. Jesus, do you want them in or not? You know, I don't want to make that decision. You know, is, it, is, is this right? Should we do that? Is there a sense of nervousness uh, about the whole thing? They've made this mistake before as a Canaanite woman come to Jesus and was screaming, Lord, Lord, set my, my daughter free. She's demonized. And the, and the disciples made a decision there. Shut her up, Lord. Tell her to be quiet. And Jesus kind of went along with it. Yeah, I can't. I'm not here for you. I'm here for Israel. And then this woman says, oh, but even the, even the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. And, and, and he was blown away by this Canaanite, this non-Jewish woman, and her, her, her resilience. No, you must give me something, Lord. And he was blown away by it. And, and she was healed instantly. And the disciples kind of, at that moment, they sort of they, they made a wrong call there, actually. Actually, Jesus did want her ear, and Jesus did do something great. And, uh, and I wonder if there's some of that about it as well. They've been burnt once before by this. And perhaps that's why Philip goes to Andrew. They don't want to make the decision on their own. Um, but they, 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 so there's this kind of thing going on. These Greeks come. You don't read about them anywhere else, by the way. It's a weird thing. They come to Jesus. The welcome team done a good job. They took them to Jesus. And, uh, you know, the right to know more table. Should we turn to the right to know more table? And they've come in. And, and then you don't read nothing else about them. I'll get to the end of chapter 12. And I'm uh, uh, halfway through it. It says, Jesus went away and be on his own. I'm thinking, what about the Greeks? <laughs> Where's these guys gone? All I can imagine is that John recorded this, perhaps because it had an impact upon Jesus himself. I'll come to that in a minute. Um, but for some reason, John thought it was important these Greeks had come. But Jesus don't address them directly. He just addresses the crowd and uh, those who are gathered around him. And uh, he says this. He says, uh, verse 23, The hour uh, has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And, uh, I, and uh, I wonder if, as the Greeks come, as Jesus is seeing this mixture of, of Jew and, and Gentile, of, of Greek, and, uh, and uh, God's, God's chosen people gathered to before him, I wonder if in the moment of, uh, of uh, in, in the sense of occasion of the Passover, what he knows is about to happen in the days to come, a sense of God's purposes beginning to gather and fill his mind. That the culmination of all that God intended, from a promise given to a man Abraham, Thousands of years ago, you will be blessed, you'll be a blessing to the nations. Achieved and accomplished through the work that I'm about to give my life for. I wonder if some of that began to, to, to fill it. Perhaps that's the presence of these Greeks. Perhaps that's why John put it out, I don't know. But there's something of destiny uh, about this, uh, this, um, this little meeting. Um, I wonder if other scriptures, it's too small a thing. Isaiah prophesied, it's too small a thing, not just, not just Israel, not just to restore God's people, but for nations. I wonder if scriptures like that began to grow in Jesus' mind as he sat. I don't know. I don't know. But he's certainly very much taken with what God is calling him to do at the moment. Verse 27 says that, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. He is full of why he's here. He's full of a sense of destiny and what God's called him to do. And these guys have come perhaps with their questions about, well, should we take, pay to, uh, tithe to, to, God, to the temple and uh, to Caesar? What should we? Perhaps they come with all sorts of questions. And what they get is, oh, now the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus is very conscious of what is before him. He's speaking about himself in verse 24. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And he's speaking about himself. And um, 
I think uh, over the years, certainly, uh, um, I'm a bit of a gung-ho sort of guy. I was in the army for six years, and I've sort of always, I like, I like Rambo, uh, you know, I like uh, Gladiator, I like Braveheart, I like films like that. I like simple films, there's a hero, there's a villain, the hero kills the villain, the hero gets glory. I like stuff like that, I'm not complicated. And uh, I, I just, I've always been a bit like that, and since, been, uh, since I became a Christian when I was 25, uh, I just, uh, I, I lapped up stuff like that. And um, I, I think I read things like George Whitfield and Wesley, and I threw myself into that. And I was just enamoured with, with, with their, their effectiveness, what they did for God. And um, really taken with that. And I'm grateful for much of that. But what it produced in me was such an awareness of what I am here for and what I can do. I used to come alive to verses like in Matthew 11, it says, um, uh, the, the kingdom of God falsely advances. I think it's different in this translation. That's what I had at the time. King of God forcefully advances and forceful men lay hold of it. Oh, I'm forceful. And then somebody preached and they said, actually, in the original, the word forceful could mean violent. And I was like, and violent men. <laughs> and I, I slept to me and I sort of write the verse out and I'd have the first bit in small. The king of God is forcefully advancing. And forceful, violent men lay hold of it. So I was, something about it appealed to me. There's something in my heart that just kind of leapt to that. And uh, I, 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 some of you are thinking, I don't know what you're talking about. I can't relate to that. Perhaps others can. But there was something about it. And, and it produced in me such an awareness of, I knew Christ, and I, I know his great love, and I know his work, and yet what I'm more aware of is, God, what have you called me to? God, what are you going to use me for? How are you going to use me, Lord? And Jesus here is speaking in these, in these moments, these days, hours, days before his... Uh, his death, he says, it's, it's about me. The grain of wheat in this picture is Christ. It is Jesus. The grain of wheat separated from the ear. The Son living in perfect unity and friendship and fellowship with Father, Son and Holy Spirit from the beginning of time. If there is such a thing, which there isn't. It's separated. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground. It's willing to be torn away. And to go into the ground and die. Unless that happens, we remain alone. There is nothing. But if that happens, then it will bear much fruit. It will be a kingdom that fills the earth. Isaiah says it elsewhere, a root from Jesse. It's going to be a root that grows from the line of David. And his kingdom is going to fill the earth. Nations will inquire of him. He's, he's so taken with who God has, who, who he is and God's call upon his life and, and, the, and the impact of that. It's about him. It's about him. I, 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 just as I said, we used to read verses. I want to be a grain of wheat. I want to die on the ground for you, Lord. God's looking at me thinking, why? <laughs> why? Because it's not about you. It's about him. Any good thing He's the the one who's ascended on high, leading captives in his train, giving gifts to men. Any good thing, any act of perseverance or faithfulness or anything I might bring that will be a blessing to God firstly and that we are a blessing to his church or others or whatever, anything is as a result of his death, his willingness to go into the ground and die. And Jesus draws the attention of those around him. It's about me. The hour has come. 
Yeah, it was calm. And, and I don't know, you know, one of the wonders of beautiful things about being in church. Everybody says hello to me, and I love that. And everywhere I'm struggling to know names, and I'm just as bad now as I was six, seven, eight weeks ago. But I don't know, I don't know everybody. Perhaps you're, you're looking in and, listen, it's about Jesus. The Christian life has its beginning in Jesus. Our salvation, our hope that God, when we die and stand before you, it has what I've done in the past has been wiped away because of Jesus. You look at me, you have forgiven me, and I stand before you and you love me. It begins in that. And we live and we are sustained only by that. I add nothing to this. I bring nothing that will benefit God. Now don't misunderstand me. I believe fully in his church. I believe that God expresses his kingdom through his church. Fully persuaded of that. But my attitude to this now is less of, what do you want me to do, Lord? My attitude now is, Jesus, you're magnificent. You're truly magnificent. What you've done, what you've accomplished, no organisation, no government can ever do to reconcile Jew, Gentile, slave and free, people from all languages and backgrounds. No man can do that. God brings together in his son. It's magnificent. And, and it's become greater to me. I'm grateful for that. And uh, it's, it struck me, as I say, in, in preparing these things. Jesus draws the attention of all those to himself. We're not to grow weary in this. I look back, I'm very grateful for the church. I've, I've only ever been in New Frontiers Church, and the best thing in the world is what I know and love. And the, the churches have, have been great, I've had great examples. But I, I look back and there have been times, certainly when I was first saved back in church in Kent, and um, where we just didn't have many people come and preach the gospel on Sundays. But there weren't many people coming. It's hard, hard work. Fantastic guy leading it. But I noticed over the, a number of years that because the people didn't come, somehow the gospel and the work of Jesus some kind of got a bit, well, we're moving on from that. And, and we used to run courses and things, things, and again, I'm not against these things. Search for Significance was one, which I, uh, when we all got into that, and it was fantastic truth. People were really blessed by it, but somehow, somehow just the simple message of Jesus, who he is, his work, kind of got moved a bit to the side, I felt. We're not only saved by it, we are to grow in our appreciation of him. It's our bread and butter. <laughs> so Jesus, as the hour draws near, he draws all attention to himself. And um, we're not actually able to go on and imitate or emulate him or attend to him unless we're first captivated by him. I can't get busy and excited about the works of the kingdom unless I'm excited about him. Jesus sends out the 72. People took a bit because it's Poland thing. <laughs> People have an expectation of me now, and, and they come. They expect me to have this kind of, you know. I, and I, I love New Frontier. I just I work. I don't go to conferences not because I think they're bad. I just can't. You know, I just don't live in that world. And they expect me to kind of have this kind of experience and uh, and way forward. And how you're going to do this and what you're going to do? I, I'm really disappointing for them because I don't know. You know, I just don't. I know Jesus. I um, I know Jesus says go, and I'm confident in that, and that's it. And I know He says don't take nothing with you. And I know he says, don't gather nothing on the way. And I know he says, uh, um, for men of peace, preach the gospel, pray for the sick, cast out demons. That's it. 
But, you know, there's much to learn, but, but that really is it. And then he says, don't get excited, Kevin, when God blesses it and, uh, uh, and you see things happen. Don't, get, don't be excited. Well, by what? By the fact that my name is in his book. Be excited by the eternal relationship that you have. That's it. That's it. And you can't be, I'm learning this, to be more excited really about this one than Poland and I've got this big thing and I'm learning not to be too fussed about the expectation. So, we're to be excited about him, to look to him. Secondly, verse 25. um, Jesus then goes on to say, whoever loves his life loses it and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Uh, our chief ambition is to take on his likeness. Jesus says this, this thing about losing your life and keeping your life. It's all in the context of what he's done. Right? So it's a bit like when Peter gets that great revelation from, from God as to who Jesus is. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And uh, uh, um, following that, he's, uh, <laughs> be wary. When, when some of you love and respect, pat you on the back. Uh, I'm, I'm learning this and all. Don't speak for two weeks. Give yourself a two-week break before you say anything. Because straight away, Jesus commends him and then straight away, Peter is in a position where Jesus is teaching him about the fact that I've got to go, I'm going to go to the cross and so on. And Peter says, no, you're not. And uh, there's something like the pat on the back is kind of, well, I'm just going to advise Jesus now. I'm just going to uh, just uh, direct him slightly in his thinking. Oh, I'm not sure that it's, uh, that's quite what required of you, Lord. And uh, there's this kind of rebuke, you know, get behind me, Satan. So, you know, you know don't speak. Two weeks. Somebody says, who you love, stay stum for two weeks. You'll save you like a heartache. But, um, um, yeah, sorry, there's this revelation of Christ. And, 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 uh, and then there's this, Jesus directs their attention to, um, to the cross. Take up your cross. It's not just um, that we're to, uh, we're not just to stand in awe. We're to become like him. We're not just to admire him. We're not just to be captivated by his beauty and glory. Jesus said, now, you, you, now, and he gets at their attitude. He doesn't tell them to do anything. Now. He just says, it's, it's an attitude thing. If you lose your life for my sake, or let me read it rather than misquote it, whoever lo- loses life, lo- loves his life, loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And he says that in the context of, of, of what he's just said about himself and the cross. And, um, and the word hate there means to pay little attention to. That's, that's what it means. Uh, in the original, to pay little attention to it, I found that helpful. Um, we need to understand that every institution in our Western world, every every manufacturer, every every um, vestige of advertising is directed at us to bring us comfort near. It rains against us day in, day out. It's all at us. We are to uh, buy this, have this. We've got to have that. I saw an advertising thing for a Coke bottle the other day. It's got a new grip. I was blown away. It's got it's a new grip, Carl, you know. It's, it's, got, it's got little bubbly bits on it, so you don't drop it when you pour your drink. Now, I, I thought, wow. I, I, thought, I thought, I've never dropped one anyway. But they put thousands into advertising to convince me that I need a new grip Coke bottle. And do you know, but do you know what? The funny thing was, if I go into a shop and I see the old one, and I see the new grip Coke bottle, I will go for the new grip Coke bottle. They're saying, what? I just don't know. I thought, well, that's a bit better. I need that. A little bit of extra. There's nothing wrong with the old one. But I find myself drawn to that. Everything in our, we grow up as people in Western culture with this absolute incessant 
directed attack on us, you are not comfortable enough. You do not have enough. There is never enough. You need more. You need more. I get more conversations now about uh, pensions and vasectomy. I have them all the time. I have them now. I'm 41. I've got four kids. So the conversation, have you thought of a pension plan? Have you had a vasectomy? I, I, was, I was sat in a pub. This was when I was 38. I was sat in a pub. So I was just chatting with um, and just sat four daughters now. And the guy said, have you thought about a vasectomy? I think, I don't know you. <laughs> I'm not talking about you. you know, but I have these conversations. And the, the thinking behind it, the drive behind it is, well, 41, you know, I think, man, 41, come on. But, but they're 41, you know, 25 years or so. You need to prepare. You need to prepare for this life. You need comfort in your old age. You, and then there's a wisdom. Now, there's a wisdom. The Bible is balanced in this. You know, don't be a slug. Don't eat for now. Be an ant store up for the future. There's a, there's a, a principle, a good, wise principle in some of this. But, Jesus doesn't then change what he's saying for a 41-year-old. Because as a 20-year-old, I'm like, whatever. You know, I just, I'm going to live forever. I'm going to, you know, that's just me. I, maybe, I'm just going to live forever. I don't, care. I don't care. As a 41-year-old with four daughters, I'm thinking, right, marriages. I'm thinking, uh, right, I don't want to be a bird. You know, I don't want to pushing around an old fella and dribbly, dribbling down his front. You know, I just, you know, I want to also, I just, you know, for their sake, I want to have some idea and, and, and you just start to think but Jesus doesn't kind of water it down or change it he simply says whoever loves his life will lose it if you love it you lose it and it's so weird because the things actually uh, and if he says if you uh, hate or don't give attention to your life you'll keep it it's weird because the things we love we give attention to love your marriage you give attention to it if you don't you will lose that so it's just topsy-turvy. He's not talking about the practical incidentals of life. It's an attitude to life. It's an attitude. It's not like, well, I better not love you then, you know. Or lose it. It's not weird like that. It's an attitude. It's a pervasive attitude in my soul that Jesus says, I want you to be like me. What did Jesus accumulate? Nothing. Wealth, nothing. Son of man, nowhere to lay his head. Nothing. Nothing. But the satisfaction of fulfilling God's purpose to reconcile men together in God. That was it. That was it. And, and, and I find myself, so I find myself in positions now where I'm making decisions. Now it seems very wise. I find it hard talk, having conversations with certain people to say, well, have you thought of that? I'm thinking, well, I have thought about that. And I don't know what to do about that. But Jesus just says, go and don't take nothing with you and don't accumulate anything on the way. And I will provide. And that's it. And, I, and I, um, it's hard to explain this. Well-meaning, good, sound people trying to help me think it through. I'm not the world's best at pension plans and all that anyway. So it's, it's good to be asked. But at the end of the day, I don't want to be foolish, but I'm not going to adopt a lifestyle contrary to what Jesus said. I don't want to be like that. And I, I would say this, I'm grateful for things that I've built in over my life. Um, that helped me, particularly in this whole area of comfort and money. Jesus says it about money. You can't have it both. You can't serve two masters. He doesn't say that about many things. He does about money. You can't serve money. You can't have money and me. They can't both rule you. You can't serve both. And, and I'm grateful over the, the years, because of our culture and nature where we live, we're cared for. Whether we feel like it or not, we're in the 7% richest people of the world. We are well cared for. Even those of us who aren't fortunate to have a permanent home. Actually, in contrast to many, 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 the 80, 90, uh, 90% of the rest of the world, we are very, very blessed. 
and we can fix our problems. We get a card. We can sort our problem out. We don't have enough. We can rack it up. We still come and praise. We still come close to him. And we can sort it out. And I'm grateful for, I can't pretend that we've lived like that throughout, but there have been moments, I think, of, I remember at Stonely. Stonely? Who, who, anybody heard of Stonely? <laughs> Some of you have. All right, all right. But big Bible week. And uh, there was an appeal for money. And I was a student. We had a, kid, uh, a Chloe, I think, we just had. And we emptied our bank account. People are like, you know, and we didn't sort of tell anybody, but people are like, well, I think that's all a bit emotional. And I think people need to be a bit more sober-minded about it. I'm so glad for it. I'm so glad that there are markers in my life. We talk about it as a family. Markers where you just chuck it out there. Don't love your life. Lose it. You'll lose it. Hey, pay little attention to it. Oh, God, I may pay little attention to it. Pay little attention to that fact. Because <laughs> then you come alive to the truths that I will provide. And lo and behold, vouchers come through the door and, you know, you're down to the last nappy. I mean, it was, you know, you're eating porridge and carrots and all the rest of it. Because it's like, there's nothing there. Let's mix it up and them's doing the best. <laughs> you know, it's just... Uh, but it's great. I'm so glad for moments like that. I'm glad when it's on the line. Because if it's not on the line when I'm, when I'm, when I'm a younger guy, it's not going to be on the line when I'm 45 and I've got my teenage daughters around me and I'm thinking marriages and I'm thinking future. I won't put it on the line then. If all I ever do is kind of come close to it, I feel in myself the more responsibility I take on, the more difficult it is for me to genuinely say, Lord, Lord, I trust you. Lord, it's, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be uh, uh, um, captivated by that. But I, hope, I hope that's come across. Okay, I, I just. I feel it's a real challenge, just in our culture, young or old. It's a great. I feel a greater challenge now than I've ever felt it. What do you love most? Who do you love most? Who will you trust? Where will your security be? Where will you put your faith, Kevin? Where will you put your faith? Where will you put it? I feel that more now than I've ever felt. So it's not an age thing. It's not even a life circumstance thing. It's just a God thing. Jesus says, if you want to keep your life now, keep it. There's a story in um, uh, um, uh, this. They trap monkeys. I think it's South America. You've probably heard this. I don't know. But they trap monkeys. What they do is they get a coconut shell. So South America is a bit, bit broad. Some country in South America. Forgive me if you're from a South American country. <laughs> But uh, there's a place there where they trap, they, they trap, indigenous people trap monkeys. And what they do, they get a coconut and they cut a hole in it and put nuts in it. And they hang it up on a tree. And then the monkey comes along and it sniffs out or whatever monkeys do, I don't know. And they put it around in and it gets the nuts. And they can't get out. Because you make a fist, you see, and the hole's big enough to get your hand in. But once you make the fist, you can't get out. So then there's this kind of decision thing. Oh, I've got me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Just, sorry. <laughs> Sorry, a bit of East End humour now. Um, I've got these, and, and I've got them, and I've got you. That's what I wanted, that's what I've got. And you know, I want to get away, but I can't, because I've got to let go. And if I don't let go, I'm going to be eaten, but I won't let go. And they must obviously don't let go, because that's how they catch them, eat them. I don't, you know, there's more to it than that. But that's, they, they won't let go. They just will not let go. They got it. They got what it came for. Jesus says, if you love your life, you will lose it. If you pay little attention to it in this world, then you'll keep it for eternity. You have to let go of some things. We have to. If we're to be like him, he accumulated nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's a great challenge for us. And, and Satan is reigned against us in that. 
Jesus goes into the wilderness. It's bread. It's sat- immediately satisfy yourself now. Be fasting. Have some bread. Satisfaction now. All right? Don't go to the cross. You can rule the world now, Jesus. Just bow down. Have authority now. Satan's way, you know, Adam and Eve. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's the appetites. It's the opportunity to grow in knowledge and have position and status. It's, it's all reigned against us. Not only in industry, but, but Satan is as well, because he knows, therefore, we've lost our life. We lose him. We don't follow. We can't be like him. We can't do his works. We can't follow him and serve him, as he goes on to say, because we won't let go. So we, just, we just need to be wise to that and, uh, and aware of that and the choice that we have in that. Um, lastly, uh, we are to attend to Christ. Just verse uh, 26 so in this context, Jesus speaks about himself and his work. He draws the attention of the disciples. Uh, he says, whoever, it's open to anybody there. If you lose it, you love it, you'll lose it and so on. And then he says this, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Um, an appreciation of the personal work of Jesus leads quite naturally to this statement. If you love him, if you're caught up in him, then to serve and to follow is the natural outworking of that. That's what it is. And um, it's our great calling as believers to follow and to serve. The word servant here just does mean that. It doesn't mean slave or anything. It means to uh, execute the commands of another. That's what it means. Um, And it's a bit weird because in John 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants but friends. And I suddenly realised that last night. I thought, oh my word, what am I going to say about that? But but the previous verse to that, Jesus in John 15, he says, um, my friends, uh, if you, uh, you are my friends if you do what I command. And so we're not nameless servants. We're not, oi, clean that up. I'm Kevin, take care of that for me. There's still obedience in friendship. It's just that we're not nameless servants. We're not skivvies in God's house. But we are called to serve. It was Paul's great pleasure to be a servant first. A man who planted you know, multiple churches and who was the most prolific writer of the New Testament, it was his great pleasure do I not only believe it in theology in Philippians 3, but to say, I am a servant first. When he writes to one Corinthian, it's a church in Corinth, where they say, oh, Paulus is the best, and, uh, and Cephas, and Paul, and I follow this, and I follow that. He says, stop it. We are but men. Stop it. <laughs> We're servants. This is what he said again, so I don't misquote it. Uh, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ. I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. I don't even judge myself. It's the Lord who judges because he's the master and I'm here to t- serve up what he likes. That's the Christian life. That's what it is. Well, it's part of it. We're only servants, Paul says. Um, we're called to serve. We're called as a Kevin, not oi, mate. Can you do that? I'm Kevin. He knows my name. He's, he sh- I share in his home. I'm called to, to enjoy the benefits of his home. But he gives me things to do. And I am a servant in that. He knows my name, but I'm called to serve. And, um, and, and it's weird how we get a bit like this. We get a bit, sometimes I think, we get caught up in competitively in serving. You don't find that in a, in, a, in a normal... I've never been a servant and I've never been a slave. I've worked for little, but I've never actually kind of been fully in that environment. But as I understand it, you've got a person who cleans out horses and you've got a person who makes scones and puts tea on the table. And the guy mucking out horses is quite happy mucking out horses. He doesn't compare the amount of muck that he scraped to the number of scones that have been baked over here by this person. 
The master wants clean stables and well-kept horses. So that's what I do. And he's very happy to do that. The master wants scones and tea. He likes that. So that's what I do. I don't compare. Well, we don't job share, which is fortunate. <laughs> <laughs> Not today. <laughs> Not today, thank you. But, uh, but the, the, this, this, this idea that somehow we compare. Well, no, no, it's for him. What does he like? I want to cook it how he likes it. Enough salt and that. So, grace, Lord, is that how you like it? Oh, what I want out of my life is to please him. That's what Paul says. I don't care whoever judges me. It means nothing. It is the Lord who judges me. It's for him. I'm just a servant. I turn out and, and God has their gifting. We often see things through our gifting and we think, well, oh, God must love that. Most. Evangelism. God loves evangelism. Well, that's probably because he's made you that way to serve in that particular way. But you know, Jesus is a good shepherd and all. And he loves the sheep. But we see it through uh, how we are. And we think, well, that's more important. She said, no, it's important to keep the wolves away. Teach them well. Feed them. Look after them. Help them. Keep them in line when they need it. He's the apostle of our faith. He's many, he's all these, all the gifts flow from him. He ascends and he pours out gifts. And he says, there, 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 and we, and if it's in some way, and I, I don't know if it's, again, this kind of me thing in our culture where we're conscious of me and what I bring and what I do and how's that squaring up, and you go on a course and they plonk an evaluation form and you're like, I can't bear those things. How, how do you think it went today? I don't, I don't know, it was quite good. <laughs> really unhelpful, I get frostbite them things. It's like, because I think a lot of the time it's just, we want to pat on the back. We want to, we want to just, you know, oh, they all enjoyed it today. Well, great. The Christian life isn't for that. We're not just disjointed individuals, I know that. We're to submit to one another, honour one another, love one another, bless one another, uh, help one another. God's grace is expressed through us to one another. I thoroughly agree with that. But my first call is, Lord, do you like it? Do you like it? When we pray, here's a test thing. When, um, on, on a, in a worship time, when we pray, I'm conscious of it, and people who pray, and, and, and the rest of the congregation yes Lord yes amen amen and then there's somebody else prays Jesus I just want to thank you you love me so much and there's another prayer yes Lord yes Lord amen and, and there's this thing and it would be unnatural to be unaffected by it I think it's probably hey, every, everyone public or private we're all affected by what people think I was affected deeply about what you guys are thinking of this this morning and we, we wrestle with it it'd be unnatural not to but the thing that helps me overcome it is, for, do you like it? Lord, are you pleased with that? That's it. Are you pleased? Do you like it, Lord? Is it smell good to you? Does it taste right? Have I mixed it in? Is it how you like it? Have I used the recipe just how you like? That's it. And it helps me. I tell you, it, it, it frees me. Because I'm bound. As soon as, as soon as I'm directed by people's expectations, man, I'm bound. I can't follow him then. I serve him first. I cannot serve him and please other people first. I, I want to please them. I want to be a blessing. But I can't serve them first. I follow. As anybody who wants to serve me has to follow me. Me, Jesus says. And he has to come first. And it's a free, it does bring great freedom. I, I just... Um, yeah, there's more to say. Oh, we're at time here. 
Jesus doesn't call us into competition. He calls us into loving friendship and service. That's what he does. You're free. If somebody does something that you do much better than you, that's fantastic, that, because he's going to love that. But the measure of faith, gift that he's given you, he loves that. There's no competition. It's for him. It'll be all right, pray, Steph. Let me just pray. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much that what you have accomplished has brought such freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the direction of this world. Freedom to uh, trust you fully. Freedom, Lord, to be who we are with the gifting and faith that we have that you have given us. Freedom to be like that. Freedom from competition. We run our race for you, Lord. You're the prize. That's, That's what it is. We're so grateful, Lord, for what you have done for us. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We love who you are. We love what you've done for us on the cross. We love the magnitude of it. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just felt in preparation, just a couple of particular groups of people. Just, if you feel like you're hand stuck on saying, and, um, and you've got to be careful with this, you don't look at other people and think, well, I haven't got that, so I better not have that. It's not about that. Because most of the world would look at you and I and think, well, I haven't got any of that. It's about what God's saying to you. It's about what the Holy Spirit kind of pricks in your heart. And just, I've just felt, if there's opportunity, if there's something got a hold of that, Jesus saying, well, you love it too much. You love it too much. That was the first group. And I, I just really do also want to pray for, um, for those who feel overly directed by the opinions and expectations of others. Jesus wants to bring you free from that because he wants to be the one that you serve firstly. And it's just so those two things, really. If you feel like you've got to let go of something or if you feel like, actually, Jesus, I'm overly concerned about what these people think, would you just stand? Because I'd really just like to pray for you where, where I am. That'd be great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, we just, we, we again just come to you. And uh, this isn't our bit now. This isn't what we now do. We come to you, Lord, captivated by what you have done for us. And uh, Lord, I pray where hands need to be let go. Lord, would you give faith? It's faith. It's faith and trust that enables us to let go of the things that have been a source of comfort. I pray faith, faith and trust in a God who says, leave it behind, don't get anything on the way, you will be blessed. There will be enough. I pray faith, faith, Lord, for that. Faith for that, in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, particularly as well, just where there is an over a dependence upon the encouragements or opinion of others. I break that in Jesus' name. In the power of your name, Holy Spirit, come, come and bring freedom in Jesus' name, whether it's parental direction, whether it's uh, uh, peers or friendships, Lord, or whether it's simply the, uh, the onslaught of our society. I break it in Jesus' name. 
We are to pay little attention to our lives and we are to fully serve you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, lead into freedom this morning. Over the days and weeks to come, I pray great milestones of faith in our lives. Oh God, in Jesus' name. Please, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Just Jesus together. We want to say, you say, where, uh, where I am, there, there my servant will be also. And we just want to say the greatest pleasure that we have is to be found with you. That is our chief aim, to consider all things lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. Oh, we want to be more like that, but we thank you that that is our great destiny, Lord. Amen. 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 Amen.